Hey, what's up? This is your girl, Taylor Wilde. Welcome back to Wild On Season 5, the podcast where you get the insider's view of the weird, wild world of wrestling and witchcraft. On Wednesdays, today's guest is a Canadian sister. She started as a sports broadcaster for the Score Television Network, which conveniently led to an eight-year career as a commentator, interviewer, and presenter for WWE. She's the partner to John Moxley and the super mommy to sweet baby Nora. Ladies and gentlemen, AEW superstar, my friend, Renee Paquette. So where are you living now? I live in Cincinnati, Ohio. Oh, oh, so we were just in your hood. We were in Columbus. That's right. Yeah. So we moved out here like a year and a okay. half ago. And I love it. Yeah. It's actually, it kind of reminds me a little bit more of home. Like definitely more than Vegas did. Being in the desert was like so foreign sure. to me. Being in Cincinnati and like where we are in the city is like... It's not, it's not Toronto. Toronto's Toronto, yeah. but it's just nice to kind of have that same kind of vibe. We've got some trees and grass and all the things that I desperately missed while living in the desert. And what made you go out to Vegas? Like, that's such a jump. Oh, it's such a jump. So when John and I first started dating, I was living in New York City at the time, uh, and he was living, well, I should say Queens, I feel like people in New York City are nitpicky. Right. I was living in Queens. <laughs> living in Astoria, Queens, and John was living in Vegas, and once I got the blessing from Triple H that I no longer had to be in that in that like tri-state area to get to the studio for for recordings and stuff, and he's like, "All right, fine, you can move." <laughs> it just made more sense for me to go where John was. Sure. I think it also just felt like, "Oh, cool, like West Coast. We're close to LA. That's nice." Totally. And it's just so cheap to live out there. So there was. A lot of a lot of plus sides to it. That's a that's a big uh, shock to the system. But I guess like you know, Toronto, you were from Ajax originally, right? Ajax, Ajax yeah. New York. Yeah. That's very same yeah. same. Durham region, baby. Yeah. <laughs> Represent half our listeners will be like, the girls talking about. Yeah, what? <laughs> what? So you already did the LA thing though. Pre working for the score, you moved out to LA really young and you did I did the modeling, acting. So I feel like that's such a ballsy thing to do. Like we hear about it, it's like the thing to do, but you were so young. Like Ajax isn't a super de- like it is developed, don't get me wrong, but it's more like suburban. It's it's not like you're going on casting sure. calls in your backyard. Um, yeah. How did like where did that come from? Like who was your supports? How did you stay grounded? I think I was just really kind of like gutsy and ballsy at the time. And it's funny thinking about that now. And I feel like being a mom, you look at the younger version of yourself oh, and you're yeah. like, wow, I went out and did that thing. And how did my mom let me do that? Like I couldn't imagine letting my kid get on a plane and move to another country, like so ill-prepared. Oh yeah. (laughs) Uh, I didn't know what I was doing. Like I just really had stars in my eyes and I was so ambitious to work. Like all I've ever cared about really up until this point is just like working and hustling and trying to figure it out and following that dream. So yeah, I, at like 19, 
packed up. I like, and so specifically, like remember packing my bag and getting ready to go. And it was all kind of like a last minute thing. I didn't really have that much of a plan. I had not even really worked very much prior to moving there. Like I had maybe done like a couple music videos, maybe some commercials. Like I didn't really have like a resume to speak for. Um, so yeah, I just like very blindly moved to Los Angeles being like, well, if you want to be in this world, that's where you have to go to do it. That's crazy. Um, so yeah, I just kind of like packed up and moved out there, but it was, you know, you quickly get met with the harsh realities of it's not just packing up and moving there, especially as a Canadian. I didn't have yeah. a work visa. I didn't have a green card. Like I was, I had nothing. I couldn't work. I couldn't, I, I luckily ended up getting a job under the table at a bar called the mint that the Farrelly brothers owned at the oh, time. Cool. I hope they still own it. Yeah. So they had come through. I used to work at the amphitheater in Toronto. Yeah. I used to work there as a waitress and they would come through and we had like people filming in town and stuff. They had come through. So their assistant actually got me that job. He's like, just come work here. And it was like $50 a night. Maybe like I had no money to my name. Jesus. So yeah, it's, those realities just kind of hit you when you move to another country. That was like, hey, I don't have a resume. Yep. I couldn't get an agent. Nobody would take a meeting with me because they're like, you're here illegally. There's literally nothing I can do for you. Wow. I couldn't get health insurance. Like I just had nothing. So How fucking scary. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you're like, well. Well, I it's funny because it wasn't even so much in like defeat yeah. of not having done the thing. It wasn't like, oh my God, I couldn't do it. It was like, no, physically, there's just too many barriers to do it. Right. Let's the plan here so yeah it was going back home and being like hey well how do i get back to doing those things what's what's the plan gonna be now yeah. and yeah you just kind of you you pivot it was a little you pivot, pivot to go it's all about in. the pivot <laughs> i just and my biggest thing is like and i always felt this really early on was like i always was so worried about wasting time mm -hmm. i always felt like i have to go now i've got to do this now i was so antsy like ready to to hit the ground running. So yeah, I was constant. Anytime I felt like I was wasting time, yeah. felt like that felt like a big uh a, a big loss to me. Yeah. I that that feels very aligned to the feeling I've had inside myself. And the only thing that's really stopped me in my tracks and made me like look at the bigger picture is is having a child. Would you say yeah. the same? Oh my god, absolutely. And you know, it's funny because I mean I I was 35 when I had Nora, so I was older, so to yeah. speak. That, like, oh, girl, I we're geriatric moms. Like, I was 30. We're, we're in that, I, yeah, you hit that geriatric phase, and it's like, okay, let's get that ball rolling. Yeah. But I, I, ha I got to really live in that pocket for quite a while, focusing on working and traveling the world and going on meetings and doing all of those things that, that I felt like I needed to do at that time. Yeah. But, it, yeah, now having a daughter – and luckily being able to, you know, check off so many bucket list things that I've that I've really wanted to do in my career. It's funny now now being able to kind of sit back and now I feel like I can sit. I don't want to say I'm sitting on my heels. I'm not sitting on my heels. No, but it's less of that. Like, I've got to get up and go. I've got to get up and go. I think I have a little more that I can kind of sit back on and enjoy, I guess, the fruits of that labor. Sure. And do you take her on the road with you guys all the time or is it like kind of split? No, no. So we take her on pay-per-view weeks. Okay. We have to leave like, you know, this, uh, we're coming up to Toronto for Forbidden Door. Yeah. So we'll come in on that Friday, probably. Um, so she'll come up for that. 
And then we'll, you know, we do the next TV in Hamilton. So anytime we're gone, that's going to be a chunk of time like that. She'll come. But when we're just in and out, it's too much. Not that, I mean, it is a lot on me. Truthfully, oh, it is. It is. For me to be that moment, even though I'm going on the road to work and there's yeah. things to do and, you know, it's a, it's a demanding job. That is almost my break where I'm like, okay, good. I go into the world. I get to go be a person. I'm not yes. just in mom mode. When I'm home, I'm just in mom mode. I'm like in my sweats. I've got a hat on. I'm like, I'm not remotely yeah. glamorous. <laughs> so it's kind of nice to like put on an outfit, go through hair and makeup, go do totally. the TV job, and then kind of get back to, all right, we're going to the park and we, we have snacks. What do we yeah. need? What, <laughs> what phase are we in right now? Um, so no, it, it's nice for me to have that moment of like go on the road she stays home either yeah. uh you know john's whole family's in cincinnati so oh, beautiful she's with his mom or we have a nanny who's uh, just like a you know close personal yeah. family friend of ours she watches uh nora a lot of the time too so we've got lots of helping hands that make it feel a lot easier when we leave it's not this like panic of oh my god we're leaving and who's the baby with and is she oh, okay she's fine she could give a shit at this point <laughs> she's like bye bye See ya. But that's where you want, like, as much as that, like, pulls on your heartstrings, that's where you want your children to be. Like, confident, self-assured. Totally. Bye. Totally. It's funny. She's really been going through in the last, I guess, like, month and a half. She's had this, like, two-year sleep regression thing oh, where no. she will not go to bed for me. John really? can get her to bed. If I'm in the house, John can get her to bed and then maybe like an hour or two later she'll wake up and she's like, I know mom's here and she will not, she's like relentless. So wow. she's in bed with us a lot of the time, which I know I have just like shot myself in the foot with the way that I've mismanaged this. <laughs> but anytime we're gone, when John's mom's watching her, when our nanny's watching her, yeah. she goes to sleep at 7.30 p.m. Nobody hears a peep from her for 12 <gasps> hours. She is this little angel in her bed. I woke up this morning so we just flew uh, back in we had tv in washington oh. i'm like my uh, and our baby monitor is on my phone so yeah. i can always see i get an update there's a sound there's a movement whatever nothing yeah. thing <laughs> all night i'm like this little shit kept me up all night the night before just rattling and rolling around oh asking yeah milk kicking me headbutting john like <laughs> for nobody else she just says it to me that's why they make them cute so we don't kill them oh it's funny john said that he goes as much as this uh, tuesday night before we flew out she was just a little hellcat oh, no. and not being bad she wasn't being bad she was just wired she's yeah. like bouncing off the walls she yeah. wants to play she yeah. check everything out and john's like thank god she's cute because oh. the thing she's she's funny like the thing she does is funny so even yeah. when i get like I feel like I'm on my last nerve. I'm like, oh my God, I don't know what to do right now. I'm like, but look how sweet she is. God, she's cute. It's, so it, it's, it's this like really ironic game that the universe plays on us. It is. It is. And it's funny. My mom was just in town because it was Nora's birthday. My mom came down and with this not sleeping thing, she's very clingy to me. Like she okay. lives like up my ass and around the corner. Of course. And uh, yeah, my mom's like, this is payback because I was apparently like that for her. She goes, I couldn't do any house cleaning. I couldn't, mm. do, I couldn't do anything without you strapped to my body. So she's like, this is payback's a bitch. That's yeah, that's what I've got in my son too. He's like bouncing off yeah. the walls. He like can't concentrate. Yeah. He's having 17 conversations at one time. And I'm just like, oh, mom, I'm so sorry, mom. <laughs> well, I know. I really it. It's funny that like, 
perspective switch that you have. Yeah. Like when you're like, oh, you know, I'm the kid. This is my mom. This is the dynamic of our, our relationship. And then when that changes yeah. and then you know, they're the grandparent, you're the parent, you've got a kid and you look at all the hell that you put them through and they weren't, oh you know, they, I think they were all a lot less vocal about it than we all are now. But yes, like, yeah, they, uh, you have a different appreciation for what they went through. For sure. And yeah. I think like the most beautiful, like the most beautiful, but one of the most beautiful things about having your own children is, you know, you're, you're really cognizant of not putting your own shit onto them, but sure. how you really are able to reparent yourself by yeah. parenting them. Like you heal the things that maybe yeah. you didn't get. Or, you know, I had good parents. They tried their best. But being a kid growing up in the late 80s, early 90s, parenting was just different. Both parents yeah. worked. Usually you had a grandparent that looked after you. A lot of TV, a lot of Pop-Tarts. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's cool because you, you kind of get to see the world through a child's eyes again and you get yeah. that new perspective like oh my god everything in the world is new to you you don't know anything you're totally you're, <laughs> you're absorbing everything at this like incredible rate yeah uh, it just it's funny like seeing the world through their eyes again but then also seeing the world through your parents eyes yes. and I feel like it definitely softened my approach on the, or softened my memories even on like mm -hmm. anything that could have been felt like or seen as like oh that wasn't great or this was whatever it's like we're all just fucking figuring it out who cares oh, it's fine a hundred percent and that's why i always think like you know you can do the best you can feed your your kid all the organic food you can have minimal screen time or no screen time or you know yeah. have a free range non-gmo farm in your background and they only touch that grass you're still gonna probably fuck them up so totally. just, <laughs> just do let your her best. fucking rip man let her fucking rip <laughs> just love I saw that there's like that meme that's like i breastfed my kid and he just got oh. a face tattoo it doesn't matter give him formula none of it matters it, it's oh and I, I don't know uh, where, where you had your baby. I'm assuming it's in the States, but Vegas, yeah. um, it was in Vegas. Okay. And I really wanted to breastfeed. I really wanted to have a natural birth. But the more you focus on it, the more universe goes, <laughs> cute. You're not getting that. I think so many of my friends are pregnant or had kids around the same time. And you have those conversations. Oh. And yeah, for me, I what's your birth plan? I was like, I don't even know what a birth plan is. I don't even have one because I was like, I'm not married to anything. Whatever's going to happen is going to happen. I trust yep. that I'm in good hands, which can be a slippery slope trusting. Yeah. And whatnot. <laughs> Luckily I had a really good doctor, so I was fine. Good. But yeah, it's all going to go. You can't trying to like micromanage that mm -hmm. while being pregnant while going through all these things and having a baby it's like it's all so much anyways just going with the flow and letting that barrier down a little bit yes. makes life a lot like i breastfed <sighs> i only breastfed nora for two months and while she, well, she stopped breastfeeding we got in this like really great groove when like in i people kind of warn you that like breastfeeding is like makes you like you see like lightning bolts in your eyes sometimes because it can be so painful yes I, it yes. was very painful for me at the beginning okay. and then i got mastitis on top of that <sighs> anyways God. once we got in like a really great groove where i was like i know what i'm doing we've got this great last <laughs> eating a ton she was like mm, I'm done with you and she just would not breastfeed i'm like what we wow. just knocked it out and she just like refused it so and like I didn't beat myself up over it. I fought her for a little bit. So I was like, all right, if I can keep her going, I will. But yeah, if she, sure. If she's going to take a bottle, she's going to take, I pumped for a bit, but like, 
I can pump, I can put her on formula. I just wasn't overthinking it. I'm like, so long as she's healthy and she's happy and she's eating and she's cool. Like that was really all, all that I was worried about. Yeah. Fed is best. Period. Like, yes. it Who doesn't matter. The, nobody wants a hungry kid. Nobody likes me when I'm hungry. Do like my kids I don't like me when I'm hungry. Yeah, exactly. No. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I think we're in this really beautiful place in, in the world, but specifically I want to talk about professional wrestling where people like yourself and Becky Lynch and lots of people at Impact were having babies and our career doesn't stop, especially as women, because, yeah. you know, 30 used to be leave her out to greener pastures. Her her, yeah. her life is over. And yeah. I think, if anything, women are really hitting their stride in their 30s. And yes. it's amazing. Like, did you ever think to yourself, if I have this baby, this might be the end of my career? Or are you just like, nope, this is this is a part of my journey. This is part of my life. Yeah, I didn't feel that because, like I said, it's like I had Nora at 35, so I felt like my career, the tracks were already kind of in place. I had done right. enough. I, you know, been successful enough to be able to know that I could sit on the work that I had done already. Mm-hmm. But it was at a really interesting time that I left WWE. I got pregnant that next month. And then when we were like smack dab in the middle of COVID. So I left WWE without having my hand on another branch. I wasn't really sure what I was going to do in that time. And we're in COVID. So nobody's hiring. No one's doing anything. People are being furloughed and fired left, right, and center. So I was like, okay, I'm going to sit in this for a minute. And that was uncomfortable for me. Sure. But being able to, the whole world was uncomfortable. So it wasn't just me. We None of us knew what the fuck was happening. Of course. So for me to be able to just kind of like sit in that and be pregnant. I started doing my podcast. I was doing some stuff from home. And I was really lucky with that, that I could start doing that podcast. I started working uh, with the Volume Podcast Network at the time with, with Colin Cowherd. So like I was in a good spot being able to do that. But yeah, it does. It's still, even knowing that I was like, it's going to be fine and I'll it's it's shit's gonna fall into place whatever it's gonna be yeah it still is like a it's it is an odd feeling of just like how do i how do i get back on that train when your whole life has shifted like all of your your perspectives and your your goals all that stuff all kind of shifts all at the same time so my maternity leave was taking six weeks off and that American was and like that was nothing. And everyone said to me, they're like, you're gonna need more than that. Take more than that. Yes. Like, I'm a hustler. <laughs> I I'll be fine. Girl, your vagina is not right in six weeks. So you are not right oh in six God. weeks. No, and like I think that that's sort of like a side effect of yeah. a lot of women that are used to just be like we hustle, we do a million things, we're multitasking, yep. we're juggling a bunch that you have a baby and you're like oh, it's fine. I have a baby and I'm going to figure that out in a second. Yeah. Then I'm going to get yeah. to work and I'm going to have all these things going on. But then that harsh reality really sets in that you're like, oh, no, I do want to have this time. I, I, I wish yeah. that I gave myself more time. I wish that I had listened to everybody that told me that six weeks was not long enough to yeah. to just like enjoy that and adjust. It's, a, sure. it's obviously a big adjustment. Um, but yeah, I, I just felt like I was, I spread myself really thin right out the gate where you're like already lacking on sleep you're figuring stuff out and i'm like i have to book guests and do prep for a thing and people need me for these things i was like 
oh my god i just want to put everything on do not disturb everybody leave yes yeah i how did you survive that because i'm just thinking where i was hormonally i was not in a good place i was i was really lucky i did not get postpartum oh amazing thank god because I mean, I think it's, you know, you hear all these stories and I, I love that we are all very vocal about what that experience is like, because it is, it's really a lot for like, your body goes through a lot, your hormones go through a lot, your whole life has been turned upside down. Um, yep, so to incredibly. just like adjust to what that is. And yeah, I, I <laughs> so I did the placenta pills and okay. apparently that helps to ward off postpartum whether it was a placebo or not i have no idea but i was like oh whatever if it's gonna help i'll, I'll do it totally so i was at least lucky that emotionally i didn't go through that so it took me a minute like i think i was just a little bit frazzled for a while trying to juggle it all and i definitely fall under the category of being a bit of like a yes person i like saying yes to things i like being mm -hmm. that person to get things done uh, so I right. think that was a bit of a learning curve for me to like, know, like pick and choose the things that you are going to agree to do. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it was, it was, it really was a weird time. It's, it's hard to, it's hard to adjust to. And then, you know, at five months old for Nora, we packed up and we moved to Cincinnati. So we were moving, we moved across the country. Oh my God. John went through his whole thing. So it was like, Jeez. we were, we were definitely in the weeds for a minute, but that I mean, yeah, life throws shit at you and you just got to oh. kind of like roll with the punches. You don't, I, I wasn't fighting the punches. I was kind of just like letting them slide off my body as much as I could. Good for you. <laughs> Good for you. That's amazing. Like that's a lot to take yeah. on. Yeah. COVID, no job, no real prospects. You're starting this podcast, move across the country. You're still getting your bits back to where they used to be, figuring out this new role as mom. Yeah. Because when you're in the limelight, when, when you're a, a, a person in media, like being a mom is wonderful. You want to do yeah. it. But there is a bit of a switch that goes on in your brain. And like the whole like MILF thing, like I fucking hate that word. Because Stifler's mom, where this whole thing started, she was in her like 50s yes, and like I, I don't know, like, I feel myself. that way maybe I'll get there but like yeah like give me a minute yeah give me a minute jeez <laughs> like just stop pushing yeah. but speaking of like masculine feminine I think like there's always not enough attention and like kudos that needs to be uh put on the fact that you were working at the score I had an interview a million years ago at TSN after I was in developmental which was in like 2008 and even in the time that you were at the score like that is a very male driven business and like you really have to know your shit in sports what was that like onboarding process to work there and like what was like the hiring process like and did you feel like you were one of the guys or did you very much kind of stay in your lane like I have so many questions about so that world I I think I've always and I I don't even want to it's not like a coping mechanism but I've always been kind of like one of the guys I've never sure. really felt different than I've certainly never felt lesser than great but I will also give kudos to a lot of the great men that I've worked with. There's a lot of shitheads in this world. There's a lot of really yes. good dudes too. And I worked, I was really lucky to have that, especially early on in my career. And that's why I'm, I'm really happy that the score is where I first really cut my teeth 
especially on like a national broadcast. I was, you know, I was 23 when I got hired there. And my boss at the time, Greg Sansoni, is still there at Sportsnet. He was just great. Like he really let me be me. And they did that for all of their broadcasters. You look at the names that came out of there from, from me to Jackie Redmond to Mauro Ranallo to Arda O'Kell, who's now at ESPN. That place really nurtured their talent to just like create the content that they wanted to create. They let them be people like no, uh, you know, TSN is obviously great, but that was not, I didn't want to do sports center. I didn't want to be behind the desk broadcasting in that way. And what Jay Onright has been able to do at TSN is amazing. He has completely broken that mold and he's just great. (laughs) <laughs> but it wasn't always like that. So anyways, but no, at the, that's why at the score, I was like, that's where I would like to go because I knew that I could do like more like comedic style interviews, mm-hmm. which is really what I wanted to do to begin with was more in like the comedy realm. But I grew up playing okay. sports. So I was like, I think I could meld these two things together. Why not? So anyways, to your question of like, what was like that process? Like, so for me, it was a lot of like quite literal hitting the pavement, knocking on doors. Like I had my printed off head sheet or my headshot, my resume, my demo reel burnt onto a DVD. And I was going down to the television studio, banging on the door that I thought was where their entrance was. I was actually just like at the studio door, like a, (laughs) and I just kept bugging them. Like I was really, really persistent that I was like, hire me, hire me. What can I do? What do you need? How do I get in there? How do I get my foot in the door? So it was like a lot of follow-ups, a lot of emails. Like, I think I just like probably annoyed them that they're like, oh my God, fuck, fine. Annoying is the way Sometimes to go. That's what I always is. tell people. You can't. Sometimes it is. Yeah. Like, it, it's, I've, it's really helped me a ton. And like, <laughs> yeah, sometimes you just got to get your face out there and, and do that heavy lifting. I think we all get a little bit prideful totally. now. I don't know if people do that so much anymore. I think everyone's a little bit too prideful to go out and do stuff like that. We're all a little too cool. So. It was not. It was definitely <laughs> not. So yeah, I was, just, I was very persistent. Same. They brought me in. Um, and they were just about to do a reality show called Gillette Drafted, the search for Canada's next sportscaster. So then I did an audition tape for that, being like, maybe they'll bring me in through that. And then they were they ended up hiring me before that. Okay. So I feel like I started there and everyone was like really supportive, really great. They got me into the wrestling world. Greg Sansoni, who I had mentioned, I mean, he came up to me. I'd worked there I don't know, a year maybe. He was like, hey, we're going to be, okay. they had the broadcast rights to WWE. So they're like, hey, if you want, you want to host this after show for Monday Night Raw? And I was like, yeah, of course. And I was like, like <laughs> re-submerging myself back in the world of pro wrestling. Um, yeah, of course, right. you know, one thing led to another, led to another, led to me being at WWE. And, you know, even there being in such a like, you know, male driven testosterone kind of world, I was really lucky totally. to be working under somebody like a Michael Cole, who was like, just the best to work for so talented. And like, he always pushed for me and fought for me and wanted me to be doing more and working more. So it's really nice when, when you know that other people that you respect, see the value and what you're bringing to the table. I think there's nothing better. There's not a better confidence booster than that. Oh yeah. It's game changing. And you need those people because you know, you have to have a little bit of delusional confidence to be in our world. You have to, but when you have those people that like, 
kind of give you that affirmation it's like yeah. okay fucking right like yeah because you have to have that ego you have to have that you gotta, gotta kind of buy into your own hype at least to a degree totally. to be able to pull it off you can't yeah walking on set being like oh i shouldn't be doing this it's not me yeah that, <laughs> that doesn't work you gotta just go in and fucking do it don't, don't look at me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's funny because, you know, you hear so many, like, stories of, like, women working in, like, a male-dominated workplace and having a bad experience. And it's not to say I've not seen stuff and I've not also fallen victim to some of those things. Of course I have. Luckily, any time something like that has happened has been in a pretty small window in a place that I either yeah. didn't end up working or, okay. you know, it just – there's stuff that kind of happens in passing and that's going to kind of happen yeah. anywhere – but yeah. I definitely think I kind of hope that I give off the vibe of like, don't fucking bother. <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> don't fucking bother. you do. Absolutely you do. And and that's that's what makes you like basically ready for that world or you have that thick skin like my life has been men like I yeah. grew up in wrestling then I've been a firefighter for nine years now I'm back in wrestling and that's exactly my vibe is like just no dude I'll serve just it back don't. to you 10 yes. times harder than you were gonna bring it my way so <laughs> fucking test me let's go I got so a sharp my... tongue and a strong back <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so that's my next question then, because I feel very like you and I are very similar personalities and you've got to be in your masculine. You are equal parts feminine, but you've been working around egotistical, very masculine men for let's call it 10 years. And then you meet a Mr. John Moxley yeah. and he fucking knocks your socks off. <laughs> what was the difference? What? What? Because you've probably been going, nah, nah. Nah, for years. <laughs> what changed? Well, I feel like I was, I, I mean, I always had been like somewhat of like a serial monogamous. Like I had okay. boyfriends oh, before and like, you know, I, I, again, like not to make it seem like, oh, I've always had these great experiences, but like, I was really lucky. I don't have any ex-boyfriends that I would like talk shit on. They were all good guys. Yeah. They all brought something different to the table, but Unfortunately for them, when I was dating them, it was never, I mean, it just, it wasn't the thing. John, of course, okay. is the thing. And we yeah. met at a time in both of our lives that, you know, we were, I was, we were both 28 when we first started dating. We were both at good points in our careers. And I don't, mm -hmm. I don't know that it wasn't, I can't say there was like that everything went slow motion and like, you know, <laughs> endless love started playing or something in the background. <laughs> Yeah. But I don't know. There was just like this connection with him that he's like my buddy and we're still like that. Like I love spending time with him. I love watching the way that he moves and operates and not to say it doesn't drive me fucking crazy sometimes, but uh... the line between fine line, love and hate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Different day. But yeah, you know, I think we just met at a really good time in our lives that it worked. Yeah. And now it's funny, like sometimes like well, just big God, isn't it funny that we like, I had like another boyfriend that wasn't you before. Like, it's so funny to think of our lives before we knew each other and like, sure. What were we doing? What was I doing? Yeah. It's funny. You had to get through all the other ones, yeah. be it good, bad or ugly. You gotta to have those really... experiences and you've got to like try some different things on for size. But yeah, it's, it's funny. I just feel like as soon as we were together, we were just together. And that was just that. that. Like there was never, you know, 
there's no like real like song or dance. I mean, there's plenty of those things, but there was yeah. like, are we doing this? Aren't we doing this? What's happening? Are you, you off the on or off the pot? We were just like on and right. stayed on. It was cozy and we built a nice little life around that pot. I love that. And, and, you know, I, I hate to say it, but I think especially in our world of like quick everything, instant gratification, dating apps, there still is that old-fashioned romantic sentiment that when it's right it's right yeah. and it's easy yeah it's not hard work totally and there's something yeah there's definitely something to be said for like you know, of course in every relationship like I said god we've been together for 10 years so it's not that there's not ups and downs like the hardships that I just rattled off of having a baby and moving and x y and z and changing not changing careers but ch you know your work yeah. life changes a little bit like there's so many different things that can be at those highs and those lows but end of the day it's like i just i like him you know yeah like I, yeah no I him. he's your best friend yeah. and i think that's the difference like of course we need the sexual chemistry we need sure. the physical attraction yeah. we're animals sure but you want to be with your best friend i know like, and it helps that gets lost babe I, that's great yes let's be real here <laughs> like we love this <laughs> it's so funny the other day in makeup i don't know how this came up one of the girls was talking about Twilight and she was like oh, I never really understood the Robert Pattinson thing I was like oh my god I was all about team Edward I love him I go I just love a like brooding guy they're like yeah no fucking shit yeah. <laughs> you are that TikTok show us your childhood crush show us the man you married Renee Pack <laughs> yes oh my god so funny <laughs> Oh, okay. Well, you've been a gracious guest and I know you've got a million things to do. I just want to wrap this up yeah. with my top 10 tailor-made questions, not a speed round. Okay. What would be your entrance song to life? Like if you could leave your door every day, what song would get you going? Probably Don't Stop Me Now by Queen. Oh, good one. Yeah. Would there be dance moves? Yeah. Would there be like, mm, yeah. Mm, 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 mm. I'm having a good time. Having <laughs> yeah, that would be it. Cool. <laughs> so, to contradict that, have you thought about what your funeral song would be? Ooh, gosh, that's a good question. Maybe Hell's Bells? <laughs> oh, we love this. A good build up. Yeah, maybe Hell's yeah. Bells. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, that would be. Yeah, because yeah. there'd be so many emotions. Like it takes you on a real journey. Yeah, that. I mean, I, I do. Yeah, shit. I don't know. That was the one right off the top of my head. Of course, if I did like some real thoughtfulness sure. into it. No, no, because, I want off. But the you top. want to entertain want the, the masses. It's not just about me. You want people there to enjoy themselves, and I think Hell's Bells would be totally. a nice send off. A little Exact. Excellent choice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you have a super, like a secret supernatural power 